All right, we're, we're in a series that we just started last week, and we're in a series talking about this relationship that you're in, and it's a terrible relationship. And this relationship is destroying you and everything good that's in your life and everything that's good around you. And so God is actually inviting you to get out of this relationship. He's inviting you to break up and and get out of that relationship. And for some of you who are thinking right now and you're freaking out, thinking about, is he talking about the person sitting next to me? No. We're talking about breaking up with the relationship you have with pride. And not the pride that makes us proud of our kids or, 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 or of our family or that inspires us to greatness. We're talking about the ugly pride. The pride that becomes a prison for us. It's a pride that shuts us in. It shuts God out. It shuts others out. And it's that, na- it's that nasty pride inside of us that C.S. Lewis talked about. I mentioned it last week in his book, Mere Christianity, where he said, Unchastity, anger, greed, and drunkenness are mere flea bites in comparison to pride because pride leads to every other vice. You see, this is the kind of pride that keeps you and I from admitting what we need to admit. It keeps us from initiating with someone when we really need to initiate. It keeps us from apologizing when we should apologize. It it keeps us from being quiet when we want to just speak up and say what we think we should be saying and we need to get the last word in. So in this series, we're just calling it out. We're naming it. And we're breaking up with pride. And we're doing this so that it won't shut others out of our lives. We're doing this so that it won't shut God out of our lives. We're doing this because pride leads you and I to isolation. And if there's any sense of isolation in your life, and you know if that's happening, and it may not be something you share with anybody, but if there's that kind of isolation, chances are pride is behind it. Today what I want to do is I want to look at a fascinating story uh, in the Bible found in the Old Testament, a piece of history. And in this story is buried this powerful idea or phrase that if we would keep this idea or the phrase at the forefront of our life and our thinking, it will help us break out of pride permanently. And I want you to turn to, to Daniel chapter 4. Before we go there, you can turn there. I, I want to lead us up to this point. First of all, I want you to hear 1 Peter chapter 5. And starting in verse 5, Peter says this. He says to all of you, he says, All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now the word oppose, it literally means to put on full battle array. In other words, we have a choice. You and I can... Break up with pride, which as we saw last week means we're going to humbly serve other people. And if not, if we don't go down that path, then the Bible tells us God puts on his full battle array. And according to Peter, he'll be against us in our lives. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, in those verses, number one of seven sins that God hates is to be filled with pride. See, to be in a a relationship with pride is to be out of a relationship with God. God detests pride. So as you turn to Daniel 4, we're going to be looking at the story of Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king of Babylon. 
and he's in danger of God putting on the full battle array against him. Now, I want to set up chapter 4 by giving you the backstory and giving you some context so that when we get here, you'll, you'll already be ready to go. So, in 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar's army heads to Israel and attacks Israel. There's a whole you know, prophecy behind all that, but he attacks Israel, attacks Jerusalem, and he conquers the city and he conquers the Israelites. And as was his custom, he took, not killed, the best and brightest young men of Israel. Now, why did he do that? Because Nebuchadnezzar was really smart. And Nebuchadnezzar knew that this was a good strategy. He would go in, he would conquer a city, and he would take the best and the brightest young people in that city, and he'd take them back to Babylon. And he'd take them back there, and he'd teach them to talk and act and walk like an Egyptian. I mean, a Babylonian. And (laughs) and so, yeah, wow, exactly. The fact that I actually planned that. So he would incorporate them into his palace and into his government. So he surrounded himself with people, with people from all these different cultures. It was his way to know those cultures so that he could effectively rule and reign. It was a brilliant strategy. So when he went to Jerusalem, he took many, many people. And if you grew up in church, you heard about four of the famous young men that he took. One was Daniel, and the other three were Shadrach, Meshach, and what's the last guy's name? Abednego, right. You've heard of these guys, or a lot of you have. So these four arrived to Babylon, where they are assimilated into the Babylonian culture, the Babylonian system. Though we know, the Bible tells us, they maintain their faith in God. One day, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in this dream, he he sees it, and it's so important to him that he calls in his magicians and his wise men or wise people. And he tells me, he said, listen, I had this dream, and, and, and it's really important. And I want you all to tell me what the dream was, and I want you to interpret it for me. And he's like, because he's kind of fed up with these guys because they're always kind of saying what, you know, he wants to say, what he wants to hear. And he doesn't even know if they're just kind of blowing smoke. So he's like, all right, if you guys are really wise and if you're really magicians, you tell me. Tell me what the dream was and interpret it for me. And they're like, whoa, 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 oh, king, oh, king, we can't do that. You got to tell us what the dream is. And he's like, no, 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 you tell me what it is if you're so wise and you're magician, magicians. And, and he's like, no, no, you need to tell us the dream. He gets so fed up with them, he's ready to kill them. Daniel comes in, saves the day, really. And he comes in, and he not only uh, tells what the dream was, Daniel then interprets the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar is blown away by what Daniel did. And Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, from now on, we're all going to worship this Jewish God because Daniel's God is the God of all gods. Well, a few years go by, and Nebuchadnezzar forgets that lesson. And, and later on, he decides, hey, I want everybody to bow down and worship an idol that represents me and represents my authority. I want everybody to swear ultimate allegiance to me. Well, Daniel's on vacation somewhere, or he's off doing you know, an errand for the king or something. He doesn't know about it. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in the city. And they refuse to bow down to any idol. And word gets back to the king, and it's a whole long story. It's a pretty cool story. You can read it sometime. And so they take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they throw them into the fiery furnace. But the fire doesn't kill them. 
And the fire doesn't even burn them. And eventually they, they pull them out and they remove them from the fire. Even their clothes don't smell like smoke. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, wow, all right, change all that, new rule. Whoever they worship, we're all going to now worship. And he's probably thinking to himself, wait a second. I remember learning this lesson a few years ago with that Daniel guy. You see, it seems as if Nebuchadnezzar has this on-again, off-again faith relationship with God. And I just wonder, before we go any further this morning, if that's true of some of us. Our relationship with God is kind of, it comes and goes. And, and we make these declarations of faith, and then years go by. And it's like, oh, wait, I remember God. So 25 years later, it's about 580 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And here's how our story today picks up. There's our backstory. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, let's look at verse 4. And it says this in verse 4. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. And see, in this dream, he goes on and it tells us he sees this giant tree and it's a beautiful tree and it's so big and so beautiful and everybody in the world can see it. And then a voice in the dream says, verse 4, cut down the tree. And suddenly this tree is cut down and all that's left is a, the stump of the tree. And after the tree is cut down, he hears this voice in the dream. Look at verse 17. Let's jump down. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel this dream, because you know Daniel's the one who interpreted a dream in the past. And Daniel, Daniel hears the dream, and his face goes white. Nebuchadnezzar's like, what's wrong? And Daniel's like, he can't even speak. And Nebuchadnezzar said, come on, Daniel, just tell me what it is. It, it can't be that bad. Just, come on, Daniel, just tell me what it is. Daniel's like, King, I, I wish this dream was about your enemies, but in reality, it's about you. Look at verse 22. He says this, your majesty, your majesty, you are the tree. Now let's jump ahead to verse 24. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has, and notice the words, let's say the two words together, has issued what? against you this is the decree that has a, uh, initiated issued against you remember first peter chapter 5 i read god's full battle array comes against the prideful he's issued this against you my lord the king verse 25 you will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals you will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven and king nebuchadnezzar's like uh, you mean like metaphorically speaking, right? I mean, I mean that, that, that's, that's very interesting. Daniel's like, no, literally. Daniel's like, no, come on. Daniel's like, yeah. And Daniel says this in verse 25. Seven times will pass by. Now, we don't know exactly if that's seven days or weeks or months or years. Most likely it meant seven years. Most commentators think it's seven years. Seven times will pass by you. 
until you acknowledge, and here's the phrase again that was in verse 17, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone He wishes. In other words, King Nebuchadnezzar, this is your future until... This is your future. You're going you're gonna to be you know, eating grass like an ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. You're going to live with wild animals. This is your future until you recognize once and for all that you are a king, but you are not the king. So seven years are going to pass by. 1 Peter chapter 5, God's full battle array is coming against you. The story continues. Look at verse 26. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots. In other words, remember in the dream he said that, that, that the stump would, st- would be left? Daniel goes on and says, That means your kingdom will be restored to you when you what? When you acknowledge, and I love this phrase, it only appears once in all the Bible. When you acknowledge, I want to say this together, so if you don't have your Bibles open, you've got to open them real quick. And let's say it together. When you acknowledge that what? That For those of you who didn't have your Bible open, you heard it. Let's say it again. Until you acknowledge that that heaven rules. Heaven rules. No, wait a minute. I I thought I rule. Wait a minute. I, I worked hard. I earned this. I deserve this. I built this. This is mine. Mine, 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 mine. And then Daniel begs King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on planet earth, he begs him to repent of his sin. Look at verse 27. He says to the king, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. Now, here's the thought that comes to mind as I look at the arc of this story. Sometimes we, we, we think, well, you know, gosh, what's God doing? I, I can't believe, how, what, what kind of God is this? I thought God was loving and gracious and patient and kind. I agree. God is patient and kind. Years prior, he had the dream. And he recognized God is the, you know, the God. The Jewish God is the God of gods. And he forgot. Then later on, the whole make the idol, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he remembered once again, wait a second, he's the God we should all be worshiping. 20 years later, he forgot all that. Let me ask you a question. Has God been patient with Nebuchadnezzar? What's the answer? You better believe he has been. And God's been patient with us. But now he has a direct warning. And the question is, how is he going to respond? And here's the question I have for you right now this morning is, how have you responded to God's call in your life? How have you responded to God reaching out to you? God is patient Not wanting any to suffer. Not wanting any to die. Wanting all to turn from their sins, the Bible says, so that times of refreshing may come. 
God says, it says in the Bible, God's kindness leads us to repentance. God is incredibly patient with us. But let me say this to you. Do not confuse God's love and grace and patience with you with God's approval of what you're doing. Don't confuse his patience with his approval. And I want you to think about that because that's really how a lot of Christians have to live our lives, don't we? As we live among people who are not godly, as we live among people who are not living Christian values, who are, who are maybe even professing to be Christians, but who are living in a way that's contrary to Scripture, and you know because we have to live this, God's called us to live this way, to be gracious and kind and loving. And what we want to say to somebody is, please don't confuse my graciousness and kindness with my approval of what you're doing. Can you relate to what I'm talking about? And when you go, but it's hard, and you find yourself saying, how do I communicate that? How do I say that? Dealt with it then. We deal with this today. God is patient with us, but it doesn't mean he approves of our unrighteousness or our sin. In fact, I, I want you to listen to this verse in the New American Standard Bible translation, verse 27. God said to Nebuchadnezzar, he said, here's the New American Standard, it says, break away now from your sins by doing righteousness. Break away now. I actually like that translation better. God is saying through Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar, break up with your pride, which is really breaking away from your sin and any form of wicked things in your life. That word break away, it's actually an Aramaic phrase. The pronunciation, you ready for this for break away? The pronunciation is parak. Now what does that sound like? Parak. I dropped something and it broke, right? It shattered. It destroyed. It's like dropping a pot. That's what it meant, parak. And that was the whole point. That's what the word meant. It means to break away, to destroy. And God's saying, I want you to do that with sin in your life. I want you to break away from it. Destroy it in you. Break it off. End the relationship. Did Jesus say this, when your eye causes you to sin, shut it? Is that what Jesus said? What did he say? Gouge it out. What did he say? When your hand causes you to sin, tie it up. What did he say? Cut it off. Now, let me just clarify. This doesn't mean we run out now and find some axes and... You know, he used imagery, but his point, his point was, this is how serious it is. You eliminate that issue completely. You don't play around with it. You don't dance with sin. Joseph in the Old Testament, when sin was before him, what did he do? He literally turned and ran away. God calls us to run away from our sins, to destroy it, parack it, destroy it, get rid of it, break away from it. Don't miss this. God's a holy God. He abhors and he hates your sin and my sin. He hates our unrighteousness, but he loves righteousness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they are filled. Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things that you and I are worried about, he says, then those will be given to you as well. Nebuchadnezzar is in incredible danger. And Daniel says, I want you to break up with your pride. How? 
by breaking off your relationship with sin. Sin destroys your life, it destroys my life. And you break up and you break away from that sin, how? By doing something else. By doing, by pursuing, by living out righteousness. Well, verse 29 tells us, look at Daniel 4. How long goes by till we get to the next portion of the scene? How long? What does it say? How long? 12 months, right? Okay, we have one person tracking with me. The rest of you, 12 months. I want you looking in your Bible. A year goes by. Did he break up with his pride? Did he pursue righteousness? Did he seek God's kingdom? Well, a year goes by. He's walking on the roof of his palace in Babylon, and he either says out loud or to himself, look at verse 30. He's up there on the palace, and he looks out, and he says, Is not this the great, verse 30, Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? By, and what's the word? By my mighty hand and for the glory of, what's the word? My majesty. And if it was a movie and we were the audience, we would have all said, no, 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 don't say that. Right? Verse 31. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. 1 Peter chapter 5. God opposes the proud. God puts on full battle array against the proud. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. You are a king, but you're not the king. In other words, you can make decrees, but decrees can be made by Almighty God in spite of your decrees. Here's the decree, verse 31. Your royal authority has been taken from you. By the way, you know what that means? Your royal authority has been taken from you? It means that somebody gave it to you in the first place. It's a stewardship. It's temporary. What you and I have, it's a stewardship. It's temporary. And oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, whether you understood it or not, I'm letting you know now, that stewardship that you have that's temporary, you're accountable to it. Verse 32, here it is. You will be driven away, by the way, just as Daniel said, from people, and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you to, until you acknowledge, here's the phrase for the third time, that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone He wishes. Verse 33, and I love how God works. Once God makes the decision and the battle of Ray is there, what's, your, what's the first word in your verse 33? What does it say? It starts with an I. Oh, okay. God's been patient for a lot of years. But once it's battle array time, it's immediate. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like the ox. It goes on and gives us more description. Look at verse 33. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. And you kind of read that, and I read that and go, that's pretty freaky. And the only, the only person I can picture, um, I think if I remember his name correctly, in the old uh, um, M -M -M or the WWF, remember that big dude, was it George the Animal? 
Uh, remember that dude who just had all that hair? Did anybody ever watch that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you're old, there's somebody, okay, all of us 40, 50-year-olds, we're all like, yeah, we get it. Okay, so if some, a handful of us are in here going, I remember that dude. And the dude was just like so much hair. That's, so that's at least a little bit of an image of it. He's covered in this new grown hair, kind of freaky. Did you know this is actually a mental condition called, and it's called boanthropy. Boanthropy is a person in a delusional state of belief. They believe they're an ox or a cow, and then they attempt to live and behave as such, and there are real and there are documented cases of this. And the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar wasn't willing to acknowledge God, to follow God. He wasn't willing to break up with that relationship with pride. And so he became like this for seven years. His hair grew, his nails grew. He ate and lived like a cow. God humbled him this way. Why? He wouldn't break up. He wouldn't break away from his sins. You see, God invites you this morning. And I know it's hard to see in the mirror. We, talk, we say that a lot here. But he does invite you to look in the mirror. To examine yourself. And to look and see where are the areas of your life where you're filled with pride. Verse 34 says this, at the end of that time, remember the, seven per- the period of seven, seven years we think, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I'll bet you did. You see, that needs to be your response and my response to God. We need to lift our eyes towards heaven. We need to live a life praising God. Let me ask you, would you consider yourself to be a sane person? What did it say about him when his you know, sanity restored? In other words, if you consider yourself to be sane, the sane thing to do is to lift your eyes towards heaven, to praise God, the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. That's the sane thing to do. Man, don't wait. Don't wait until God's full battle array is against you like Nebuchadnezzar did. I want to encourage you. You're sitting here this morning. Learn the lesson now. You don't want your immediately to come anytime soon or ever. Learn the lesson. I started thinking about like small group type conversations. There's so much my mind was going, so much like each, there's every point I have like all these sub points that we can't get into. One of them I'll throw out to you, talk about in your life group this week. Is it possible God still does something like this today? That's where my brain, I was like, man, I would love to talk about that and just kind of dive deeper. Is it possible? And just quickly, because you'll have to go talk about it in your groups. Maybe not in this literal way. Maybe so. He's sovereign. God's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. But is it possible? I mean, God's gracious, and he's loving, and he's kind, and he's patient, just like he was with Nebuchadnezzar. But is it possible that God's opposition shows up in our lives in ways that we're not even realizing? Is that possible? Is it possible maybe one of the ways? And again, this is something I posed to you to think about and really ponder. But maybe... Your pride has been in the way. And so God has shown up, and the way he's shown up is that you actually can't hear from God. 
that you're in a place right now where you can't hear the voice of God, the wisdom of God, and you can't receive from God because of pride in your life. You can't receive instruction. You can't receive His wisdom. And maybe it's not a disease or a sickness or, or your upbringing or whatever medical condition is out there that the world says is your issue. Maybe it's just pride and God has been opposed to you. Again, that's a question that dive deeper in and pursue and kind of duke that out. Nebuchadnezzar finally says, verse 34, Daniel 4, he said, I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom. He's finally getting it. His kingdom. In other words, not my kingdom, not the kingdom of the Babylonians, but his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And here's the lesson he finally learned the hard way. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The most powerful man on the planet earth is humbled by the king of kings. Why? Because we said it earlier, because who rules? Who rules? Who rules? Heaven rules. Let me give you a couple lessons before we wrap it up this morning. The first that I learned from this is that my life is a stewardship and so is yours. No matter what you have, no matter how much power you have, no matter how much prestige, no matter how many possessions, all that you have should be viewed through the lens of stewardship. And you know what that means? It just means, man, you and I, we have so many variables in our life that we don't have control over. We've watched that. We've witnessed that this week. 50 inches of rain? I mean, can you imagine? There's so many variables in our life, and it's not just weather. So why would we ever get puffed up or arrogant over anything? Whatever we've been given, whatever's been placed into your hands, you're just managing it. And I'm just managing it. We didn't create it, and we're not going to hold on to it forever because it's temporary. Everything we have, it's all temporary. So why not view it through the lens of stewardship? 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust, and that word trust actually means steward, those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. See, you and I are responsible to manage well all that we've been given. All that's been entrusted to us, all that's been bestowed to us, we have to manage it well. And I encourage you to think of that through three categories. Easiest way to think about stewardship in your life. Three categories, three T's. Time, talent, and treasure. If you are always living your life thinking about stewarding your time, your talents, and your treasures for the glory of God, manage it well. Never get puffed up about those. Prove you're faithful. Why? Because second, as responsible stewards and managers, you will be held accountable. You see, I'm accountable. Nebuchadnezzar was accountable. And you're accountable. We're accountable to what's been given to us. Romans chapter 14, verse 12 says, So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. I think that knowing you are accountable can help you as you try to be someone who proves you're faithful. That knowing one day you're going to give an account of how you manage your three T's, your time, your talent, and treasure. How do you and I know we're accountable? Let's read it again. It was in Daniel chapter 4. It was stated three times, verse 17, verse 25, and verse 32. 
so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. You know what that means? It means that today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year, it means before every meeting you enter into, it means when you look in the mirror and you're just like, oh, you know, you know, thinking some good things about yourself. When you drive up to the house, see the house, you're driving that car, you're, you're in that conversation, you get that raise, you get that promotion for something you were, you know, rightly recognized for. When you think you've arrived, when you think you're somebody, when, you're right, when you think you're right, when you think you're justified, when that happens, you tell your pride, no, no, no. I'm breaking up with you, pride. My life on this earth is a stewardship, and it's temporary, and I'm accountable because pride, the most high, is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and he gives to anybody he wishes. So I'm not going to be arrogant. I'm going to be grateful. I'm not going to be puffed up. No pride for me. I'm breaking up with you, pride. And I'm telling you, the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. And He gives to anyone He wishes. Will you break up? The relationship's horrible. Get out of it. End it. Because your life's a stewardship. And everything you do have, your mind, your 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 possessions, your time, your talent, your treasures, all of it, it's temporary. You're held accountable with it. The Bible tells us, 1 Chronicles 29, 11, everything in heaven and earth is yours, God, or belongs to you, God. It's just given us to us for a short period of time. So how about it? You done? You ready? Break up. Put on humility. Be a faithful and humble ster- servant. A steward, why? Because the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. And He gives to whom He wishes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, Your message for us this morning is, God, is so important. And I hope and I pray the power of Your Holy Spirit has worked And God, I'm hoping and I'm praying that people look in the mirror. And God, that they can learn this lesson by sitting here and not by having to go through what Nebuchadnezzar went through. God, we don't want you to be against us. We want you to be for us. And so we come with humility. And we declare, God, you are sovereign. And everything you've given to us, we're to steward it well and we're to prove faithful because we know it only lasts for a period of time. And so, God, we lay our lives before you. We know we're accountable to you. And if you would do that to the most powerful man on planet Earth, which you did, God, in your sovereignty, you can do anything. So I pray, God, we're people who learn the lesson and begin to live it out and be humble servants. God, right now, when we give our offering, this is one of the ultimate ways where we get to demonstrate with our treasure. Think about our time, our talent, our treasure, but we demonstrate with our treasure that you are sovereign and you are most high and you've given to us.
why would we ever hold it all to ourselves? Because you've asked us to worship you by giving a percentage, a portion back to you. And so, God, I thank you for those who are not letting pride stand in the way and they come right now and they give to you. And so, God, we worship you in this moment as we give you our offerings. Use them for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.